we just returned from the Philippines, and God has put a new burden. And, you know, it's, it, it happens every time I travel to the mission field, and it's been almost five years since I've been in, in the Philippines. But when you're there, it's a whole different reality. That's why we give you opportunities to go on missions trips. For all these years of ministry, this church has encouraged the members to take short-term trips, and we've done them uh, a number of places. We've gone to Mexico and Argentina and Thailand and India and the Philippines and Africa, and there's another missions team going to do creation ministry in public schools as well as medical missions in the Philippines, and so they'll be going in November, and our prayers are with them, and there's excitement already growing with our missionaries that are there. But what I believe today is that God wants someone hearing my voice here or watching or listening today to say yes to going to a foreign mission field. I believe that God wants someone today to commit to that. I don't know why I feel that way, but I really do. I also believe that God wants someone else that's here or listening to me to commit to more prayer and more giving to world missions. Why does God desire that of us? Because there's urgency. There's urgency. What is the urgency? Well, we don't know how much time we have left, brothers and sisters. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He could come at any moment. And with world events shaping up as they have just yesterday with Israel being invaded by Hamas and people killed and people taken captive uh, by land, sea, and air, which is unprecedented, uh, it feels to me like there's something really brewing in the Middle East. And we know the Bible predicts an invasion by a number of countries into Israel and God protecting the nation of Israel from that onslaught. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but it could all happen because of this. America's in big trouble. We're in big trouble. We don't have a Speaker of the House. That's never happened. Uh, I mean, think about how weak we are and, and, and the weak leadership that we have right now and the, the financial problems uh, we used to be such a, a, a powerful nation, and now we have we have relegated that to uh, powers that are of, of evil minds and wicked uh, dispositions. And so that's urgent, and, and that creates a certain urgency. But the urgency is this, my friends. Put up the world population clock. This is live, and you see it uh, going right now. This is an estimation, but it's, it's fairly accurate. We are over eight and a half billion people on this planet right now. Eight and a half billion people. How many of those people have never heard the clear plan of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone? How many? Keep that up. Keep that on the screen, all the screens. Let me tell you this. Today, 367,000 babies are being born in our world. Today. 
That means that there are thousands of new souls entering into this world as we speak. Now, you say, okay, yeah, but the the population is not just based on those born, but based on those that die. And actually, that's the number that creates more of an urgency in my heart. And that number is this, 184,000 people are dying every day. In this service, over 7,500 people will enter into eternity. In this service. And so I hope that all of us have a sense of urgency to bring the gospel, not just to our neighbors, which we need to do that. You are a missionary. The early church didn't have mission organizations. Now, I'm not saying they're bad. We actually serve as a mission organization in Grace Ministries as a clearinghouse, and certainly we have need for that, but... Every believer was a missionary. Every person that knows Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a missionary. You will come in contact with people that pastors and missionaries will never meet. Think of your family. Think of your neighbors. Think of your coworkers. There's, there needs to be an urgency. Now, how do I know that? Well, I want to take our attention today to Israel. And I want to transport all of us back a couple thousand years and bring us to Israel and bring us to Jerusalem. And Jesus was there in Judea. That was the area surrounding Jerusalem. And Jesus, the scripture tells us in John 4, left Judea Judea, and departed again into Galilee. Now that's straight north. A direct line is often usually faster than a, a curved route, right? And so a straight line, Jesus could have been from Judea up into the Galilee quickly, but it says in verse four that he must needs go through Samaria. I love the way the old English puts that. Do you, do you see a little bit of urgency there? Do you also see kind of a divine intersection there? The Christian who loves God and is in the will of God and is serving God, not out of a guilt of, uh, um, uh, I, I have to follow these rules or this list, but a, a person that loves God and, and, and is amazed by his goodness and his grace and his holiness, that Christian uh, is going to have a lot more divine intersections than the Christian who's nominal. The Christian who is Christian by name. The Christian who really isn't living for God every moment of every day. But when you are and you're in the will of God and you're in love with him and you want to serve him, you're going to find these intersections are coming in your life in crazy amounts. It is so exciting to be a Christian who's in the will of God. Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, let me show you on a map where Samaria is. If you're in Jerusalem, you see on the map, it's uh, right there, kind of in central Israel, a little bit to the west of the Dead Sea, the, the northern part of the Dead Sea. It's up in the hills. 
And Samaria is the region just to the north. Today, if you look on a map, you're going to see that that is included in what's called the West Bank. Now, the big problem that's happening in Israel so far has primarily been Gaza. Gaza is a strip of land south of Tel Aviv, south of Joppa, on the Mediterranean Sea, that historically was the land of the Philistines. Now, we know that the Palestinians got their name from the Philistines, but the whole land was called Philistia because they wanted to remove the name of Israel from the land. The Romans were so fed up with the Jews. Uh, so it's, it's ironic to me that these two regions, Samaria and the Gaza Strip, are still hotbeds today. That tells me that the Bible has it right. Okay? Now, the Philistines are long gone, but these, these areas are populated by Arabs, primarily. And, uh, and Israel gave back the land of Gaza a number of years ago and uh, gave them uh, security autonomy. Didn't do that with the West Bank. I'd rather call that Judea Samaria, by the way. I think it's a more biblical term. But Samaria is an area that the Jews didn't go through. Why? Well, in Jesus' day, they'd rather travel down uh, into the Jordan Valley and go up where the Jordan River connects. You see the body of water at the bottom of the screen? That's the Dead Sea and the, the line that goes all the way up to the other body of water, the Sea of Galilee, that's the Jordan River, and that flows through the Jordan Valley, and they'd rather go through the Jordan Valley and go around Samaria. Although it was longer, they would do that. Why? Because during the Assyrian captivity, when God was chastening Israel, the northern kingdom, and taking them into captivity, a lot of foreigners had come, and started to intermarry with some of the Jewish people that were left. And they formed this kind of a, it had some Jewish flavor. They believed in the first five books of the Bible, but that's all they believed in. And they also didn't recognize Jerusalem as the, the place of worship. They recognized and built their temple on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim, we've done filming there, and there's actual real life Samaritans living there. You really need to see one of our In Grace episodes with Dr. Scott Stripling and I, Discover Hidden Israel 2, where we were driving up to Mount Gerizim to film about the Samaritans, and the next thing we know, we're in a parade of Samaritans on Shabbat, and they were all wearing white. That's going to come into our message today. That was Samaria, and the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. They were prejudiced, and this happens in our hearts and our world. It's, uh, you know... Racism isn't a black and white issue. Racism is a heart issue where we don't like a certain group of people. And God wants to change our hearts. And the only thing that's going to end racism, whatever the skin tones are, because we're all one race, we're all created in the image of God. There's no lesser or greater Race, there really isn't such a thing as race. We're all the human race. The blood of Jesus pays for the sin of every person. And we're all equal in that sense. But what will solve racism is people that understand that and put their faith in Jesus and God changes us. Okay. But, but Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. And he honored and he loved the Samaritans. And you see that throughout his ministry. 
Luke 19, verse 10, the Bible says that the Son of Man, Jesus said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus didn't just take the gospel to his Jewish countrymen because he was Jewish. He took the gospel to them, but he also took the gospel to other places. He was in the Decapolis. These were uh, Roman cities that were built to try to get rid of the, the Jewish flavor, the Semitic flavor of those areas and try to Hellenize them or to add the Greek culture to their lives. Jesus took the gospel there. He took the gospel to Samaria. He loved all people. He had a burden for all people and he had a divine intersection. I must needs go through Samaria. And when you love God, you're going to have these same things happen. You're going to feel your heart changing toward people. Maybe you didn't used to like them because of something they did to your ancestors or, or the way that they smell or act or, or look like. And God is going to do something great in your heart and you're going to have this feeling to go bring them the gospel. Here, Jesus did. If this is his attitude, shouldn't that be our attitude? John 4, 5. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Now, this is really cool because part of that series in Grace that we filmed, Discovering Israel 2, Scott Stripling and I also visited a well in Sychar. It's in the modern day Novelis. And we went there during COVID and the place was ours. <laughs> that was one good thing about COVID is we got to travel and film anywhere we wanted to in Israel. We actually got into Joseph's tomb and filmed in there. That was a miracle. It says, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. I mean, this goes back centuries before Jesus. And it all, it goes all the way back to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel and his son Joseph. You know, we know Joseph went to Egypt and the whole nation grew in Egypt and they came out of Egypt through the Red Sea, were born as a nation, brought back into the land with Joshua. Well, Jacob's well was there. Jacob's well was there. Today, there's a well that you can go do, uh, go to. It's, it's not on the tourist maps. It's an area that's a little sketchy uh, going into. I've only brought tourists there once. Probably uh, not. I won't do it again. But we, uh, we survived. We actually drank from Jacob's well. And here I stand. That's something I never do, by the way. But I'm like, you know what? If Jesus drank from this well, I think I can drink from this well. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, we can spend a lot of time on Jesus' humanity here. He's God. How can he be tired? Well, he cloaked his divinity. He, he suspended his divinity so much so that he was weary. It was the, it was around noon. They had been traveling. They traveled by foot and they came to this parcel of ground that someone he descended from, Jacob, had given to his son and Jacob had dug a well there and Jesus sat on the well. And when we filmed there, it was just such an honor. I believe it really is Jacob's well uh, that Jesus sat there and had this conversation with this woman. There cometh a woman of Samaria, verse seven, okay, to draw water. Let me just give you a little side note. Have you thanked God for turning a faucet and getting water today. Have you thanked God for that? How many of you turned on a faucet today? How many of you? Some of you didn't. 
That means you didn't brush your teeth. You didn't shower. You didn't shave. You didn't. No, you, we all did. That's a miracle. That's incredible. It would take a lot of energy in, in the, in not that long ago to go get water. You had to do it every day. And there she was coming out of her city. We don't know the distance, but it was a little bit of a distance. And she had to carry it, folks. Thank God for modern conveniences. Don't let these things go by. And Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Now you might say, well, why would he do that? That's kind of like, why wouldn't he say, hey, let me help you. Let me get you the water. Well, remember this. In the land of Israel and in that day and even today, it is an honor. It is an honor to be hospitable. It is an honor to provide something for a traveler, something for a guest. And Jesus was giving her a huge honor. Okay? We, we are very Western in our thinking, but we need to start thinking a little bit more like those that lived in the East in that day. And even today, they still have those, these customs. And so Jesus said, give me to drink. In verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. That didn't necessarily mean uh, beef. Uh, it, it meant food. Okay, So when you read that word, just interpret it as they went to buy food. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which I'm a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings. With the Samaritans. You see the racism? You see the problems there in that culture? And we have the same problems today. Jesus didn't have a way to get the water. He didn't have a cup. And he's asking her to drink. This was never done. The rabbis stated in that time that Samaritan women were continually unclean. That was what they said. And Jesus asking her a drink from her cup means that he would then be ceremonially unclean. Now, that's not what God said, and so many things were added to what God said, and that's where we have to be really careful today. If God didn't clearly say it, be super careful not to enforce that on someone. That was a problem. With the And it's still a problem today with the, the friends that I have in Israel, the rabbis. They still talk about tradition superseding scripture. But that's what Christianity has done too. Okay? I'm talking about Christianity at large, not the true biblical Christianity. So here Jesus is asking something that a rabbi would never ask. As a matter of fact, they said the rabbi would rather die of thirst than to ask a drink from a Samaritan woman. Jesus answered in verse 10 and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee what? Living water. What? Living water. This is intriguing. The woman said unto her, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Oh, by the way, that's one thing that I was amazed at. This was a well dug by hand into rock. And the, the person in charge of the well poured some water down, and it took a number of seconds before we heard it hit. Isn't that neat how deep that well is? And it, she said, the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob? <laughs> yes. Yes. He, Jesus didn't say that, but of course, he's the one that created Jacob. The one that came from Jacob created Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. What did Jesus say? He answered and said unto her, whosoever, boy, folks, don't ever lose the beauty of that word. Okay, whosoever, Samaritans, Jews, Africans, Canadians. Yes, even Canadians can be saved. Amen. (laughs) Whosoever, even Americans can be saved. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Jesus is not speaking of H2O. He's speaking of a different, a spiritual water. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This is incredible. The woman said unto him, sir, give me this water. I'm not sure she really understood it yet, but I know she did understand it. And the Bible ends with this. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The beauty of water is the beauty of everlasting life. Think about the contrast. Water is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift which only Jesus himself can give. It's a free gift to anyone who wants it. I love all of that about water and eternal life. John four sixteen, Jesus is going to deal with a problem that she has. Before she can really understand eternal life and salvation, she needs to know why she needs salvation. Jesus said unto her, go call thy husband and come hither, bring him. The woman answered, probably starting to blush a little bit. I have no husband. Well, she was honest at that moment. She did not have a husband, but she was living with someone who is not her husband. This is according to the word of God's sin. And Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. That's a lot of husbands. You know, Elizabeth Taylor uh, did, did more, but. And he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband. And thou that sayest thou truly. So she realizes suddenly that this man knows all about her. She just met him. There's no way he could have known about her previously. And she, it dawns on her that this man has incredible insight into her, knowing details that he shouldn't know. And also she's realizing that she is a sinner. She, she knows that this is wrong. And I think deep down everybody knows what is sinful. I think it's built in. It's a code that God has given us where in our conscience, we know things that are wrong. We instantly know when a man grabs a woman's purse and starts running away, that that's wrong. We all know that innately. And so this woman, as a sinner, needs a savior, like all of us. 
like all of us. And the woman said unto him in verse 25, I know that Messiah cometh. They believed in Messiah. They, they believed in the first five books of the Bible. And there was a promise there, right? Of the Messiah right there at the beginning of Genesis. Which is called Christ. When you hear the word Messiah, it's Jewish for the promised one. The word Christ is the, uh, the Greek or the Latinized version of the same word. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus Messiah. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And he had just done that. Jesus said unto her, and by the way, what he's about to tell her, he didn't do. He didn't do this really until the end of his life where he publicly presented himself as the Messiah. Until then, he was veiling his, his works. He was veiling his miracles. He wasn't really making this uh, proclamation that he was the Messiah, but to her he did. He said, I that speak unto thee am he. Verse 27, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he was talking to this woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou? Why talkest thou to her? So they were smart enough to not say it. Sometimes we're not smart enough to not say it, but are you smart enough to know that God reads your thoughts? You don't have to say it. He knows you. He knows you. You can fool other people. You can't fool him. The woman then left her water pot. I think that is so awesome. She came to bring, get water and she forgot her water pot. She had found something far better. And she went on into the city and said unto the men, come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Remember the city that she came from was a little bit away from this well. She left, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. She became instantly a missionary. She didn't go from church to church to raise money. And again, I'm not against these things, but we do things in a really weird way for missions. She like immediately became a missionary. She went immediately to talk to people. She was so excited. Remember how dad used to say he was so excited about getting saved. He didn't have time to realize that Christians weren't supposed to be excited about it. Think about that for a second. Are you excited about what Jesus has done for you? That you have met almighty God and found out that he paid for your sins and he wants to give you water that you will never thirst again and that water will spring up and other people will see Christ in you and they'll want the same thing. Or have you become like many today in our world, like the Laodicean Christians who are fleshly, who are carnal, who aren't spiritual? I hope today that you have a wake-up call from that mentality, from that lifestyle. Because everything that this life offers you will be gone. Will be gone. Only what you do for Christ will last. So she goes and becomes a missionary, bringing the good news to her sphere of influence. And it reminds me that when you take a rock and you throw it into a pond of water, show that picture, what do you have? When you throw a rock into a pond, you have circles. They're concentric, and they emanate from the place where the rock went in. And that's what God wants from you. He wants you to be that splash, and from you needs to emanate all of these waves of the gospel. 
And that stretches not just to your little area, your little community, where that rock goes in is where you live, but it goes further and further and further. And God wants your influence to reach the world. Even if he's not asking you to go, he might be asking you to do more, to, to give up something so you can send that money to help a missionary. Bring the gospel to a people that have never heard it. That's as the, To me, it's the same as you going. When you pray for missionaries, it's the same as you going. Your, your mind is going to where they are. And God wants that influence to grow and grow. In Acts 1.8, it talks about uh, being witnesses, not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea. And the, 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 the waves continue to Samaria. And the waves continue to the uttermost part of the earth, to the ends of the earth. I love that. And I hope your life is that is that way. John 4, 31, in the meantime, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But and he was weary. Remember, he was hungry and thirsty, but he, something had changed in his physical body. No longer was he hungry. No longer was he thirsty for God. The father had given him sustenance that was doing his will. And I'm not, not going to say that if you do the will of God, you'll never have to eat or drink again. But I'm saying these things that we think is, are so necessary to life will now be backseat to doing what God says, and he will give you that, uh, that food. He will, he will give you that satisfaction. And he said, I have meat, I have food to eat that ye know not of. And the, the disciples were talking, has any man brought him to eat? Maybe he already ate. Boy, uh, we're dense, aren't we sometimes? We don't really get it sometimes. Jesus said, my meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. We can say the same thing. And as a matter of fact, no Christian will ever be satisfied if they're not willing to follow the will of God. Verse 35, say not ye, there are four months and then cometh the harvest. Remember, it was an agricultural society. They were growing their food and you would usually plant and wait and harvest. Jesus said unto them, lift up your eyes. So there they are at a countryside well. They lifted up their eyes. They would have saw, seen fields full of grain. And maybe from the city of Sychar were coming the Samaritans following this woman, maybe dressed in white. And he says, look on the fields. They're already white. They're already ready for harvest. I think he was pointing at the crowd of Samaritans coming out of the city. There has never been a shortage of the harvest. Only a shortage of laborers. Remember that. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China, and he was preaching one day in the city of Ningbo. And one person in the crowd said this to Hudson Taylor. He said, I have long sought for the truth. I and my father before me, I have found no rest in Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism, but I do find rest in what I have heard here. Henceforth, I believe in Jesus. And then he asked Hudson Taylor, how long have these good tidings been known in England? And Hudson Taylor said, some hundreds of years. The man in China was amazed. 
He said, what? Is it possible? And yet you've only now come to preach to us? My father sought after the truth for more than 20 years and died without finding it. Why did you not come sooner? I hope that you are going to go against the tide of Christianity in America, where we used to be the launching pad of world missions, and now we are declining in a drastic way. I hope that you will say, God, I will do more prayer. I will do more giving. And if you want me to, I will go. Because there's an urgency. There are people dying. Let me talk about the Philippines. Let me talk about some of our missionaries. This is Pastor Edwin and Anna Sampson. We were there dedicating their church. You see the ribbon we had just cut. Uh, their building was financed by uh, their their work, but also by our funds. We spent, we spent a lot of money uh, to help them build that church. And it's done enough to meet in. Now, in America, you would not have occupancy. <laughs> uh, but they had occupancy. Uh, just because it was built enough, it was strong enough to, they can get in there. They still had to finish the floor. They still had to insulate the room. Uh, it was incredibly hot. I thank God for air conditioning. But uh, the pastor asked me to do something that hardly anyone ever asked me. He said, Pastor, would you preach a little shorter? I said, yes. If there's lunch afterwards, I'll preach a little shorter. Um, but it was wonderful to be with them, to see what they're doing. And and uh, to be a part of that. That's the, the main reason we went, because I knew that my dad uh, so loved Edwin and, and Anna, was so impressed that they uh, had immigrated to the United States, were living the American dream, but Edwin wasn't happy because he knew God wanted him in the Philippines. And, and eventually his wife got that same call, and they both went back, and their family, and, and boy, I'm so proud of them, so proud of that church, so excited for them. And then we have the next family on our list. We have Nate and Sarah. Now, they were just here. And uh, I think we crossed paths as our, our, as our plane was flying from Manila through Tokyo to here. They were flying. Uh, we crossed in the air somewhere. I never saw them, but uh, proud of them serving the Lord with Sarah's parents, the, uh, Edwin and Anna. And then we have the Duncans. They've just planted a church. We celebrated a, a wonderful day with them. They had just had their one-year anniversary. They had a building. They had just expanded it. So we helped dedicate their expansion. Uh, a full building on a Sunday night, Cross Point Baptist Church, the beautiful uh, boys. We got to spend some time with all of our missionaries. We rented a house and had a pastor's conference and, and just uh, caught them up on everything that's happening. We heard what's going on and how we can pray for them. So excited for them. And then Sam and Cheyenne Sampson, Pastor Edwin's son. Oh, let's talk about this, uh, this lady first. This is a doctor that attends Sean's church. She drives an hour and a half to get there. She somehow came across in grace and loves the gospel of grace and couldn't find a church where she lives. So she drives an hour and a half. Delightful woman. And then we have uh, Pastor Sam and Cheyenne. This was uh, their church on a Wednesday night. Really good crowd for a Wednesday night. They just had a, a big Sunday where they had almost record crowds. And I'm so proud of them. 
a young man kind of thrown into the pastorate at the last minute and Cheyenne uh, without any experience and they're growing leaps and bounds. And I'm so impressed with Sam and Cheyenne and, and what they're doing there in the Philippines. And then Pastor Keith and Rebecca Virginal, they're on the far right of this picture. There are missionaries to uh, the Landmark Baptist College, which will be Dayspring Baptist College as we're starting at Dayspring College location in the Philippines. Now, we met with the principals of that school. There's three men in that picture. There's uh, uh, the men that have a, a, a burden, Pastor Tan, uh, Pastor Mello, and a businessman and their wives. They want to see a Bible college flourishing, just like Dayspring, with our same values and our same doctrine. And so we're working hard on making sure that gets built. We've had a ton of setbacks. COVID was one of them. A property they had, all of a sudden, the brother of the governor of the province wanted that property. And when they want it, you have to sell it. And they did. And they're working on getting another property. But that property has squatters. Folks, you need to thank God every day for how it is here because there it is so different. There's so many hurdles, but pray hard that they can remove the squatters with uh, as little amount of money as possible, and then they can start to build, and we have funds ready to go to give for the building of that property. So pray hard for Dayspring Baptist College and Keith and Rebecca Burginal and their wonderful boys. And then this is uh, Pastor David Lian, and they are him and his wife, uh, El Mi Tun are in Myanmar, and they're in the, a tribal regions, a very dangerous part of the world with their own coup and their own problems. And there they are serving the Lord uh, in an orphanage and a beautiful, beautiful family and children. Keep them in prayer. This is Pastor Caddy Second, Pat Serpanadorn. We've been uh, supporting them and their daughter Grace for years. Uh, we've been uh, up there many times into the hill tribe regions of northern Thailand, and uh, they're doing great work, and we continue to support them. Uh, this is Pastor Ron Citron in India. He has a school called Solid Rod the- Theological Seminary in South India. We've been there a number of times. We've taught there. We've done a lot of ministry in India over the years. Uh, keep that school in prayer as they have huge grad- graduating classes. I believe that one on the bottom left is their latest class of graduates, and they come from all over India, and some come from the northern countries above India down into that college, and they're hearing the clear gospel, and and they're taking that back and starting churches, and that's exciting. We've been supporting them for years. Another man that uh, we've been supporting in Trinidad and Tobago, Pastor uh, Burbal Boudron, his wife Annette, pray for them. Dr. Citron also has ministry there because he came from Trinidad. And they're running Bible schools, and I've been able to teach there and uh, love that family. And then in Togo, we support Pastor Kojo and his wife, Didi Kavi, and uh, their family have been there to his church, and they've just got new land, and they have a, a temporary building going on, and it's just amazing what they're doing, and I'm so proud of them. And then in Uganda, we support Pastor Jim and Michelle Tellman. They have schools, they have uh, churches, and uh, wonderful people. One day, I hope to get to that country. And then Chile, uh, Chile in in uh, South America, Pastor Luis and Greta report. They had just started a church. As a matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, that's their first service. Look how many people they had. And they came out of Pastor Dan Rioff's church in Waukesha, one of our church sister churches, our church plant from here. I just want you to see what God is doing 
through you all over the world, through you. This is where your giving is going. And these are just some of the people. You've already heard about the Mikish family in Canada, but God is using them in great ways up north in the uh, uh, beautiful, beautiful, but remote areas of northern northwest Ontario. And we got to see their building come up that we actually got to help with that. Uh, and what a privilege that is and continue to pray for them. And then in Israel, as we're praying hard for Israel, Pastor Menno Kalisher, we've given uh, recently him money, our Bless Israel Fund money went to him so that he could buy land for a camp for uh, Jewish children that need to know more about their Messiah. And uh, let's pray for them. And I sent him an email, I haven't heard back from him, that we're praying for him and praying for his his ministry. He's a pastor in Jerusalem. And then here in the United States, we support a lot of organizations. Uh, the uh, organizations that support Christian liberty, that support uh, pregnant uh, crisis pregnancy. We support ministries that are printing and translating Bibles. Uh, we support, uh, of course, in grace uh, by a lot of money every year. Uh, and Dayspring Bible College. These are huge ministries that are reaching the world. And so continue to pray for all of these ministries. Why? Go back to the population clock. Because people are dying every minute of every day. Each of these, don't look at these as digits. Look at these as eternal souls. Friends, there's an urgency here. Are you living a life to get the gospel to the world? What is the gospel? It's a beautiful message. It's a simple message. The message is this. God created us. Everything was good. We messed up. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came, God in the flesh, to redeem us, to buy us back, to give us hope of eternal life, to give us the ability to live the life that he wants us, to be his hands and feet on the earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. That whosoever, that's the same word that Jesus used. Whosoever drinketh of the water. Whosoever believeth. How do you drink of the water of eternal life? You believe that Jesus is who he said he was. God in the flesh, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that came to die for our sins. If you believe in him, he rose again the third day. He's alive, and you can put your full dependence and trust in him. If you believe in him, what does it say? You should not perish. That's hell. But have what? Everlasting life. Isn't that a great message? It's a simple message. If you know enough to be saved yourself, you know enough to tell that to someone else. Are you? Do you feel an urgency? Do you feel God calling you? The Bible says that we all sin. Let this represent sin and this represents you and me. We've all sinned. Jesus was sinless. Our sin separates us from God. He came and died for our sins. He was buried the third day. He rose again and he invites you to believe in him. And when you do, you have eternal life. You're in the hand of God and that can never change. This world is full of heartache and sin and problems and war. But Jesus came to make all things right. But first, enter in by faith. Believe that Jesus died for you. Accept the gift called eternal life. For by grace are we saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by you being better. It's not by you being religious, being baptized, giving to charity. It's by you trusting Jesus and accepting the gift. 
It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. Lest any man should boast. Have you believed that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and rose again? He paid for your sin that? If you've believed in him, you're saved. You're born again. You've drank of the living water and you will never thirst again. But if you haven't done that, do it right now. 